and welcome to Non-Technical, where I, your host, Alexis Gay, interview influential folks from the tech, media, business worlds, and beyond about everything except their resumes. Today, big episode on the pod, we have Adam Davidson, an economics journalist, and he's done a lot of other super impressive, really interesting things prior to that, which admittedly, I'm not going to ask him that much about. Adam, thank you so much for being here. It's great to be here, Alexis. I'm excited. Me too. This episode of Non-Technical is brought to you by Public.com. Public.com is the investing social network where you can buy stocks with any amount of money and share ideas within a community of investors. Public.com combines the ease of fractional investing, which is when you buy stocks in small slices versus small shares, with an educational community that makes it possible to learn and build your confidence. Honestly, asking my friends or researching what people I trust are doing with their stocks has always been a big part of my approach to the stock market anyway. And public.com makes it super easy to do that. It's free to use and there are $0 commission fees on standard trades, plus no account minimums to get started. Head to public.com to sign up or take a look at what I'm investing in at public.com slash yay Alexis Gay. And now the fine print, this is not investment advice. This offer is valid for U.S. residents 18 plus and subject to account approval. See public.com slash disclosures for more information. So for our listeners, I'm going to give you a little bit of background on uh, some of Adam's professional life, and then we'll dive in. Adam Davidson is an economics journalist and executive. He authored The Passion Economy, created NPR's Planet Money, and was economics writer for the New York Times Magazine and for The New Yorker. He lives in Charlotte, Vermont with his wife and son. Adam, how's it going? It's going great. A little cold outside, but not as cold as it could be. I'm feeling great. That's great. I'm having the opposite scenario. I am at my mom's house in Florida and I'm actively sweating. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, it's uh, (laughs) it's a lot of snow and cows around me in Vermont. Idyllic, like a painting. It is. It really is. So I'm so excited to interview you because we actually crossed paths while I was at Patreon for business yeah, reasons. Yeah. And now I get to talk to you about you. How cool is that? I do like talking about myself, I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> wow, we already have so much in common. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> Actually, in truth, I really am a reporter. Like I ask you about you, but I'll do it. I'm in. You'll fall on this sword. You're going to talk about yourself. I love it. I feel very honored. So Adam, first question for you is this. Work is done for the day and you close your computer. Then what? I am not good at that closing of the computer. So, I mean, the truth is I go usually watch YouTube videos of various kinds. Okay. I go through different runs. I, even though I'm not religious and I've never really had a strong belief in God, I've gotten really into for a while. Oh, here's my son. Here's Ash. (laughs) Hello. Hello. (laughs) Ash, what do I do when I'm done for the day? When I'm done working for the day? You watch the news? Yes, I watch. <laughs> I watch the news. For a while, I was watching a lot of philosophers arguing about the existence of God. That really? Somehow I enjoyed that, but then I kind of got a sense of those arguments. Lately, it's been quantum mechanics, physicists okay. talking about how that works. But then I've also been really into how magicians do their tricks. Oh, that's awesome. There's a lot of those. Although they're kind of a bummer because you see an amazing trick and you're like, holy crap, that's impossible. Yep. And then they explain it and you're like, oh, okay, I get it. 
It's not that impossible. Absolutely. I've never enjoyed a trick more learning how it was done. Yeah, no, I think it's a bad decision to learn how they're done. It's better to just be amazed. So on the note of philosophy, is there a particular philosopher you've learned about you think would make an incredible podcast host? Richard Rorty. He was at, was he at UVA? I think, University of Virginia. Both really, I think, really brilliant, but also very quippy. I think he'd be great. Long dead, but David Mm -hmm. Hume, who's a major Scottish philosopher in the 1700s. All accounts are he was just a hilarious, lovely guy. And in fact, he was like an early atheist. Like that wasn't a thing, really. Okay, before it was cool. And it's sort of this amazing thing where everyone was like, he's pure evil, but what a lovely guy. I love hanging out with him. <laughs> He's so fun. Wow, that duality would definitely make somebody a good podcast host because yeah. people would talk about it all the yeah, time. Exactly. So if you want living philosophers, that's going to be more of a challenge. I think I'm not like some expert, but it seems like they've gotten really specialized and narrow. And so they're less mm. likely to just be fun to talk to. Less pontificating these days. Yeah, yeah more like really specific. That's my sense, but I don't know that much. I mean, you can definitely learn a lot from YouTube. I've learned a number of things from YouTube, but when I'm YouTubing something, it's usually because I need to know like how to cut an onion properly, for example. I'll look up what does finally chopping an onion look like. That I could tell you because I did take (laughs) some really good knife skills courses. And I want to say, I also watch total crap. It's not all like philosophy and stuff. (laughs) You're like, let me clarify. I have levels. I have levels. And then I definitely like to spend time with my family. But that's a tough transition for all of us, you know, especially these days. Like you just finish work and you kind of want to veg out. So, Oh, yeah. You need like an off ramp. Yeah. I am so weird when I'm done working. Immediately after I'm done working, I'm weird. And I need a minute before I'm like ready. Absolutely. So philosophy, (laughs) theistic philosophy discussions. That's the best. I should try that. Yeah. Looking back, have you ever been known as the something person? For example, in high school, I'm I'm 100% confident I was the drama girl. Yes. I mean, it's some embarrassing. I was, I had a solid deep, deep nerd geek period in high school. So I was really into NASA and space and I wore a NASA hat every day. Just clarifying hat, not helmet. Hat, like a baseball hat. (laughs) Great. That seems cool. It was not cool at all. Oh, I was super, my mom's from Israel and I spent every summer in Israel and I was like Mm. extreme Zionist. So I just want to get into an argument with everybody about Zionism, even though like nobody cared, but I would just, I was so ready. Um, and I went through all sorts of journeys of becoming the opposite, becoming very anti-Zionist and then just finally being like, eh, I'm just not going to have strong opinions. I could probably get fired up. So did people identify you as like the space kid? Honestly, I don't think in that period, anyone was really thinking about me that much, but if they did, they'd be like, yeah, that kid is always talking about space and Zionism. (laughs) I would think it would be something like that. A classic combo. A classic combo. (laughs) I really like ants. I got really, that was like a a little older. I got really into studying ants. Did you have an ant farm? I did. I did. (gasps) I've had a few ant farms. The kind of ants that are good in ant farms are biting ants. Oh, the red ones? Just because they're the ones who are easier to transport, I guess, through the mail wow, or something. I had but no idea. So my wife is like just super anti-ant farm. So I haven't, Uh-oh. and I've been with her for 
almost 18 years. And so I haven't had one in a while, but okay. yes, I loved ants and ant farms. We adapt. So we, adapt. we adapt. She's anti-ant yeah. farm. I don't know that there's much you can do about that. Okay. So when I picture an ant farm, I'm picturing something that's like eight inches by eight inches. Is that about right? Or are we talking like yeah. giant ant farms? I mean, I had definitely much bigger ones. I was just before the level of like making, you could make like a big ass colony. You know, you can make it as big as you want. And I wanted to, and then you could have like tubes and tunnels and, you know, have it like twirl around your house. And Oh my God. (laughs) The big thing is when you get a queen, because, you know, most ants are just infertile females. Huh. You know, shockingly, I did not know that. (laughs) You didn't know that. But you can imagine. So the queens are the only ones that reproduce and males typically, depending on the species, are alive for like three days just to impregnate the queen. And then oh they're, they're killed or eaten. To really go for it, you have to get a queen. They don't really, for consumers, sell queens. I think like mm. scientists can buy a queen. So you have to like okay. dig up a queen. It's like a whole thing. So I didn't go there. Okay. You know, ants don't live that long. So if you're just having fertile ants, you're just, anyway, welcome to Ant Talk. This is actually a new show. It's called Ant Talk. Ant Talk (laughs) with Adam and Alexis. By the way, that'd be a great freaking show. Ants are fascinating. (laughs) They really are fascinating. They do every single thing human beings do. Like they they do war, they do peace, they do farming, they they have servants. They're fascinating creatures. They truly are. But, and they have like no brain, you know, they have like three neurons. And so Hmm. it's all just very simple choices that add up to this incredibly complex system. Wow. I recommend looking to ants. That is very interesting. My father and I used to keep bees when oh, I Oh, that's younger. a good one. Yeah. Very similar. I mean, social instincts. And mm-hmm. yeah, I want to, now that we moved to Vermont and have some land, I want bees. But again, my wife. Is she afraid of bees too? Yeah. Well, what I was told if you get beehives and you can answer this question, I don't know if it's true. You will be stung several times Well, you know, I was never stung, luckily, but we wore the whole suit. (laughs) We wore, you know, full on overalls, et cetera. And then a giant beekeeper helmet. My dad had one too. And so I was never stung. You were never stung. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I would love it. I think now's the time personally for you, for bees. All right. Do you like honey? I do. Actually, my wife loves honey. Okay, this is the end. This is the end. Hey, you know how much you love honey? And then at the end, you're like, by the way, I'm going to get some bees. Exactly. All right. If you could call her. Yeah. This <laughs> out. Sammy, I'll shoot yeah. her a quick text. I'll be like, look, we were talking. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that I am someone who gets absolutely obsessed with different things for a period of time. Mm. And sometimes that lingers and sometimes it goes away. So I've been the blank guy like 5 million times. It's been different things at different periods, but that's awesome. What's one sort of fatuation that did become something you cared about in the long term? For a while in the space thing, I was like, Oh, I want to be a fighter pilot or an astronaut. And then with the ant thing, Oh, I want to be a myrmecologist, like a person Mm -hmm. who studies ants. Then eventually I was like, I don't want to be any of those things. I just want to write about it. I think that's why it was a good choice to be a journalist because I get to like, soak up as much as I want and then, and then move along. Absolutely. Here's my segue. Ants, ant hills. Yes. What is the tiniest hill that you're willing to die on? And also, what did you think of that segue scale of one to 10? No, that was a solid eight. No question. I was going to say eight as well. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of hills I will die on. I am a die on hill type of person. I'm trying to, as I just turned 50, trying to die on fewer hills. Fewer I'm trying hills. To hills. <laughs> like what is the smallest hill 
I mean, I have a lot of views about economics, which will change completely. Hmm. And then I'm as fully, like, I'll be outraged that anyone yep. has, believes B, <laughs> and then I'll believe B, and I can't believe any idiot would ever yep. believe A. And it, there's sure. like zero. I'm trying to think of a small hill, though. Yeah, because those seem like important hills to me. I mean, I'm definitely an Oxford comma For sure. person. You know, mm-hmm. I would find that outrageous that anyone would not use the Oxford comma. I would die on that hill as well. Yeah. I think there's no reason not to use it. I have not seen one single solitary argument that is in favor of why the, it's better to not use it. Yeah, no, it's a, there is no argument. It's just there isn't one. Cretans yeah. and fools. 100%. Let's see. I'm thinking of like big important things. So like I have opinions about journalism, but that's kind of, those maybe are bigger hills. I wish my wife was here because she would tell you about like <laughs> 4 million things. Well, I'll ask her when I text her about the bees. Yes. Yes, you should. <laughs> uh, I mean, because Oxford comma, that doesn't feel small to me. That feels like a big thing. As a journalist, me. I imagine that is actually kind of a big hill. Yeah. Although I don't think I've ever worked anywhere where it was optional. If you didn't, just the editor would put it in. So yeah. it's never really been a source of conflict. Oh, That's great. I hate people to bend the pages of books to keep their place. And my mm. wife and son do that a lot. And that oh. drives me beyond bockers. I can't okay. stand No that. dog earring for you. No dog earring. No. I mean, if it's like some crappy, even then, even then, if it's like mm-hmm. a cheap used mystery novel that you're planning to throw out the second you're done. It's yeah. still, it rankles me to no end. So do you always have a bookmark? Yes. Or I just lose my page or I just read on Kindle. Yeah. <laughs> I end up using the receipt from buying the book. Exactly. Book That's a perfect 99% thing. Of yeah. the time. <laughs> There's always a bookmark nearby. Yes, exactly. Totally. Do you ever take notes in books? No, my God, never. No. No, I can't. Is that worse? Why would you ask such a question? (laughs) That's really upsetting. (laughs) And I can't stand people who are like, oh, I like buying a used book with notes because then I see what that, I'm like, are you an animal? How could you say that? I draw the line there. I will take notes in certain types of books. I have a couple rules around it. One is, I'm sorry, I can see, I see how upsetting this is to you. I I only paperback. There's nothing you could do to get me to write in a hardcover book at all. But I underline things because something about holding a pen while I write helps me really remember and focus on what I'm reading. No, I get that. I get that part of it. But you can mm-hmm. put a card, an index card or something right on that. Uh, yeah. yeah. Underlining things in books, though, makes me feel like, look at me. <laughs> I've drawn an insight. <laughs> and my wife has my son doing it. So the Oxford comma is a pretty small hill that you're willing to die on outside of uh, the journalism world. Dog earring pages for sure. I get that. Have you ever been proven really, really wrong? I am proven wrong constantly, but I somehow, no joke, I was like thinking of a book to write called like Confessions of a Poorly Recovering Blowhard. Because yeah, I mean, there's so many things that I've been proven wrong, but I just, the way my brain works is I instantly adopt the new opinion as if it was always my opinion. So I hope this is not too like substantive and serious. No. Like I, I truly am like in a period of like, yeah, that's not good. That's not good to be so certain. And it's not good mm. to be so, I mean, it's good to change your mind, but then to be so like un 
reflective about how you've mm. changed your mind. There's a positive side to that though, too, in my opinion, which is to be all in on your position or to be all in a hundred percent on the thing that you care about and stand by it. And then still to be open to hearing other perspectives. But I think that there's a huge positive to actually saying, no, this is what I believe. Yes. Even if it can change, it yeah. should change. It should change. So this house we're in, we bought, we just bought this house in October and the morning we were going to see this house, I said to my wife, let's just cancel. We are not buying a house. I'm just going to tell you right now, there's zero <laughs> chance we're buying a house. I think we're wasting their time. We're wasting our time. This is absurd. And I had like a very specific explanation for why it was absurd. And, and she was like, let's just see it. Mm. And then we got here and I was like, yeah, we're buying this house. <laughs> uh, we've always uh, planned to buy this we're house. We've always planned to buy this house. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. And then I was just terrified we wouldn't be able to buy the house, but obviously we were able to buy the house. I'm so house. happy for you. Yeah. That's a pretty great thing to get proven wrong about. Yeah. That was a very good one. Yeah. My wife could have a long list of things I've been proven wrong about. I think I need to interview her next. Yes. She <laughs> I mean, she's very interesting in herself, but I wouldn't ask her about herself. Just ask her about me. That for sure. Yeah, yeah. 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 Is there anything that you or your family did growing up that at the time you thought was really normal and then as you got older realized wasn't something other families did? I mean, honestly, it's my whole childhood because I grew up in the 1970s in Greenwich Village in oh, all right. artist yeah. housing. Yeah. So it was this giant building, like a thousand people live there with and all the grown-ups in that building and all my parents' friends were like, you know, 1970s artists. Wow. And so it was just drugs and sex and yeah. it was just completely counterculture but i hmm. didn't know that if we visit my grandmother or my cousins that they were kind of more strict mm -hmm. in high school i started to understand like there's people who call their teachers by their last names or their friends parents by their last name or like people had bedtimes and oh so no bedtimes for you i guess i had bedtimes i mean i remember thinking my parents were like the strictest parents in the world really? but it's like, I literally, in high school, my dad was upset that I didn't do more drugs. It was oh like, a, it was a genuine issue for him. In high school or even looking back, like, I wish you had done more drugs. No, no. When right I was now. in high school, okay. like, I'm closing myself off to opportunities and, oh my God. and that I wasn't having more sex and that, oh my God. And that, like, it was like an issue. Yeah. And and I think still he's disappointed that like, I've never, I mean, I've smoked pot, but I haven't done any right. other drugs. And he's like, genuinely, he loves me and he respects me, but he thinks yeah. I'm a little limited, a little uptight. Hmm. And I didn't really know a lot of people who had jobs. I mean, there were, my dad's an actor. Mm -hmm. My mom, she would have an office job, but it was clearly like a thing to do for a little while to sure. get some money. I just didn't have a lot of grownups in my life who sort of were doing the things that grownups do. And so yeah. when I went to college at University of Chicago, you know, some people are like, oh, I went to college and my mind was expanded. I really yeah. did learn. I didn't know there was homophobia because I grew up yeah. like, in the village, right? You know, yeah. I was born right around when Stonewall happened. There was a lot of racially mixed couples in my building. Totally. Like I just, there were all these things that I just thought were like, there was an obscure, oh yeah, where my grandma lives, people kind of do that conservative American thing, but that's like an obscure cult. Wow. And my <laughs> life is the normal life. I mean, it's, you don't even think that way as a kid. You just know right, that your life right? is the normal life when you meet. So, so I'd say my whole, whole childhood, you know, 
was that. That is fascinating. My father still refers to people if he's talking to me as like, oh, Mr. So-and-so. Oh, yeah, we'll stop by and say hi to like Mr. So-and-so because I'm his child. And so I he acts as though I should still be addressing people in that way. Wow. Which I think is wild. So I obviously (laughs) know all of that. But that exists. It still seems like, wait, why? Why does that exist? That's so weird. I know. I yeah. agree. And I've told him at this age, at this point, I'm like, dad, you know, I'll do respect. I think I'm just going to refer to I them as John. <laughs> <laughs> Not Mr. Miller. Right. It's it's uh, wild. Uh, it's wild. Yeah. Wow. That is truly fascinating. I think I heard you say the other day that it was almost a counterculture move for you to then go into something that was much more traditional like economics. Everything was open. People, there were communists in the building, like yeah. in the 70s and 80s wow. in America. There were... You know, there were definitely like every, I did not know any Christians. Like uh, there was one kid in our building who went to church, but everyone wow. else was either an atheist yeah. or like some weird spiritual practice or something. It was just open, open, open to like every crazy idea, mm. except whatever the norm was. Sure. <laughs> and money, business, jobs. Yeah. Yeah. That was like, I mean, it, it was something between like loathsome and soul-crushingly boring. And uh, and that was the mental frame. Like, basically, the frame was everyone is born wanting to be an artist. Mm-hmm. And then some people are crushed by society and okay. forced <laughs> to live a miserable, boring, drudgery life to make money. Wow. And then other people get to be artists. And they don't have any money, but that's okay because their life is so much better. And so then I was like, wait, I studied history of religion and I got really Mm -hmm. interested in learning about evangelical Christianity. And I mean, I was never seduced by it. I never became a believer, but I just wanted to understand what are these people up to? And then money. I was just, I didn't get money. I didn't get business. I didn't get economics. I didn't know the language. I didn't know anything about it. And I still kind of feel like that's, it is a strength because I sort of wander through the world with like Mm. this immigrants kind of like, holy shit, that's weird. I love sitting with somebody and just learning how they make money, how their business works or how their job works. I find it fascinating. I love it. Totally. And things like Patreon where it's made explicit, I find that exciting. Like where you're like, oh, we're just talking about it. That's cool. I mean, one of the podcast ideas I've had for years is I just want every week, I just interview someone and just how much do you make? How much did you make before that? Wow, How much did you I make before that. that? How much do you want to make? <laughs> Why yeah. do you make that and not this? What makes you either good or bad? Or, you know, do yeah. you deserve it? Do you not deserve it? Like, I just... Do you know the comedian Maria Bamford? Yeah, of course. Yeah. She talks pretty openly about money and how much she earns a lot, which is so cool to hear her talk yeah. about that in interviews. Yeah. Well, it's very... And it's very weird. Like, in my career, like, probably the things I've done that are the most impactful have brought me relatively little money. And when I've made a shitload of money, it's because of things that are not impactful. (laughs) And then I'm like, anyway, it, yeah, I find it fascinating, but it was, that wasn't the only rebellion. I mean, Hmm. in a way, the biggest rebellion is I just wanted a paycheck. Like when I left college, I I just want to know how much money I'm making in two weeks and how much money I'm making two weeks after that. And how much two weeks after that, yeah. I wanted a bank account with automatic deposit and really? just knowing today 
how much I'll make six months mm. from now. And that was crazy. I don't feel this way anymore, but paying taxes felt kind of exciting. Like, oh, this is like a formal thing with numbers wow. and boxes and yeah. Wow. I'm sad that the paying taxes is no longer exciting to you. I don't think it's exciting to most people, unfortunately. No, it's not. That is truly fascinating. Is there a fad that you look back on participating in? This could be like workout, cultural, fashion related that now looking back makes you a little cringy? I mean, there's a, you know, I grew up in the 70s and was a high school kid in the 80s. So there's a lot of like oh. unstructured jackets and which are back. I, I kind of feel like those are back like the denim unstructured ones. Yeah. Although no, these would be like kind of linen-y, maybe even a little shiny. Oh, wow. You know, I was super into Duran Duran. I'm okay sure. with that though. I'm all right. Yeah. With that. Yeah. I feel like I probably shouldn't have gotten all into QAnon and raiding the Capitol. That feels like, <laughs> but you know, it was pretty cool at the time. You got like, caught I was, up in the heat of the moment. Uh, yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> I'm trying to think of other fads. I'm sure there are. I smoked for many years. That was the dumbest Ooh. fucking thing I ever did. You know, I really regret that. Yeah. I don't know if that quite counts. I think that counts. Was that more of a social thing or like a Absolutely. Thing? I mean, I smoked off and on in high school and even junior high school and college. But then when I was like 30 something and I broke up with like my long-term girlfriend who I thought I was yeah. going to marry, mm-hmm. it was the dumbest version of like trying to look cool and sure. And also just like going on dates and wanting something to handle my anxiety. And, and then I was Middle East correspondent. So I lived in Iraq and for a long time and life was very scary and cigarettes were very cheap. And so (laughs) um, so it got to like three packs a day of those, like, Oh my gosh, those Galois, the French cigarettes that are like, yeah, on the one hand, I'm like, God, that was so stupid. On the other hand, I'm like, man, I would love to smoke a go right now. <laughs> I can hear it while you're talking yeah, about it. Yeah. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> no, I'm not going to. The perspective has just totally shifted. When I see someone smoke now, I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, sorry. God. No, stupid no. phone games. Oh, sure. I've spent hundreds of dollars on stupid phone games. Like, really? Ev- every dumb fucking game. I just, and I have to watch it. Like, I truly have to watch it. Because I can... I could easily spend like all day on like Candy Crush or something. And is there any particular game that really sucked you in? I mean, Candy Crush for sure. Hustle Castle last okay. year. What's Hustle Castle? Well, you sort of have a castle and you, uh, you make things and you got to sell the thing. Sure. I mean, it's, you know, you start realizing like, what am I building towards? Truly, in the last few weeks, one of the ways that I've been like, I, <laughs> I was just going to say like coping. But I guess it's just something I do now is I redownloaded Roller Coaster Tycoon, which is a game that I used to play sure. like years ago, you know, and I've just been playing that some nights for like 40 minutes, just building my roller coaster theme parks because you can achieve different levels. They're like, OK, here's your next goal. Get 600 guests and a park value of $60,000 or whatever. And I'm like, I'd love to work towards yes. and achieve it. So yes, I do that. Exactly. And then they're like, here's the next goal. And I'm like, just honestly, what more could I want in my life? Like they're just serving me these goals. Yeah. I'm hitting them. It feels great. I feel like they have my brain in a, they got in an MRI monitor and they got my like blood in a sensor and they know exactly yeah, they how to know. Like, Yeah. They know when to offer you the freemium upgrades. I'm sure yes, at this exactly. point. <laughs> so yes, addicted, like beyond. Love it. I understand. What's the most memorable gift you've ever received? Well, my mother-in-law helped us with the down payment on this house. That was pretty good. That's pretty good. It'll be hard to forget that. 
<laughs> Shout out to Adam's mother-in-law. <laughs> yes, Catherine Banbury. You know, it's funny because I remember really liking Christmas, for example. Mm. But my parents told me and my brother that they were splitting up on Christmas Eve. Oh, no. They had some reason why. Sure. It's somehow whenever I think about gifts, I then yeah. think Christmas and then I think of mm-hmm. that. And they should have split up. Like, it's good they split up. Yeah, yeah, totally. But still, it, it, it was not a pleasant, it kind of darkened that. The whole ceremony and, of it. Yeah. And I think my wife would tell you or my parents would tell you, like, I just buy myself whatever I want. I'm hard to shop for. Yeah, I am too. I think there were books I got. I mean, I'm trying to remember. Is there a particular gift you've given that you feel like was a memorable gift to give somebody? Yeah, I think, I mean, I've gotten my wife some good, I remember our first Christmas together and her birthday's the day after Christmas. I got her these prints of this famous Iraqi artist, because we were living in Baghdad, Mm. who was Saddam's doctor. He was a doctor and an artist. And he was also a bit of a Nazi, but apparently a nice guy. Sure. And I got her like a old Victrola, like a wind up record player that. Wow. They're kind of sitting around Iraq, I guess, because of the old British troops. So that feels like a good. That's incredible. That was a good, like, we're just started dating. Oh yeah. I'm sure you crushed it. Yeah. Yeah. I think I did crush that one. (laughs) Plus, you're giving her the daily gift of not owning an ant farm. That's true. That's true. Yes, I hope she <laughs> gets me. Yes, exactly. Which causes great. Yeah. And then my mind goes to my son, but that's not a gift. But, you know, that's the best thing. I'm sure that's the gift that keeps on giving. It is. He's a good boy. Yeah. <laughs> um, Adam, who would play you in a movie about your life? And would you... Th- rather this movie be a biopic or focused on a period of time? Well, David Cross, because people always tell me. Okay. I I look like David Cross. I think that it's like maybe a beard glasses situation. Yeah. And our nose is very similar. I've noticed. David Cross seems like a great choice. I'm sure he'd be very excited to play you. Yeah. When I was younger and skinnier, I thought, Niles on Frasier. What's his David Hyde Pierce? Yes. Oh, he's great. But now I'm older and less skinnier. So yeah, I'm going with David Cross. I'm sticking with it. But I'd take Paul Giamatti if he wants to take the role. (laughs) Oh my God. Wow. Those would both be really excellent. And I mean, they're excellent in most things that they do. So I can only imagine the magic they would work with the Adam Davidson story. I would love it. And then, I mean, I do think me and my wife falling in love in Baghdad is a... Oh, you met in Baghdad. We met, we actually met on the set of Friends several years earlier. Oh. (laughs) Her husband at the time and wrote for Friends. And my girlfriend at the time had a friend who wrote for Friends. Oh, wow. And so my girlfriend and I were visiting LA and we went to the set of Friends and met all the writers and Jen was there. And like, I've never cheated on anybody. I've never, like, I'm not that kind of person, but I did like, Oh, who's this? And, you know, I had like a little crush on her. She did not have a crush on me. She she thought my girlfriend was really cool. Nice, okay. (laughs) And we a little bit stayed in touch, not super much. But then she got divorced and then I broke up. And then I called her up and we went on what I thought was a date. And she did not think was a date. and didn't go very well. But then I was in Iraq as a reporter and she emailed me and was like, is it crazy? I kind of want to come to Iraq. Oh my God. She was a writer who was, had been a novelist and was becoming a journalist. And I was like, 
as she said, she like hit send on the email and like 12 seconds later, her cell phone rings and it's like 43 digits. Cause I'm on my sat phone oh my from God. Baghdad being like, you should definitely come. <laughs> and she did not want to hook up with me. Okay. But then the Middle East Adam was too, she just couldn't resist. Cause it was those French cigarettes. I think those French cigarettes <laughs> and I spoke, speak Arabic. Okay. And I kind of ran the place. Like I knew how to wow. get around and, and then we found love and then we sort of had a crisis in the middle and then we got back together even better and blah, blah, blah. So I do think it's like a classic rom-com. That would be an incredible movie. Yeah. In a crazy place. And in fact, the reason we moved to Vermont is there's this other couple who we lived with in Baghdad who have a similar story who now really? live here. And so that's what brought us here. Adam, I want to see this movie. Uh, I know. I this think would be good. such a great movie. <laughs> yeah, I should write it. You should write it. I'll help. I'm available. <laughs> All right, great. Let's do it. There's a lot of journalists who hooked up and didn't stay. And there's a lot of marriages that ended because one of the journalists was in Iraq. But Okay. So that period definitely has the makings of a movie, I would Truly. say. And then I do sometimes think, like, my childhood, that there's... Mm-hmm. And I don't know what the acts would be, but... Yeah. But I think it was a kind of crazy place to grow up, and that's interesting. Yeah. It would also really lend itself well, I think, to either a limited series or a relatively high budget TV show. Like I'm thinking something on Amazon or HBO where they can really dig into like the period. Yeah. And really and they, get into like Greenwich Village in the 70s. And that would be really cool. It does feel like a special time. There were deaths and stuff. So you could have AIDS. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, our building was just devastated by AIDS because it was all mm-hmm. artists mm-hmm. in the West Village. So there'd probably be ways to do it. And you also don't think a lot about kids growing up in that time. Like when I've learned about that period of history, I hear a lot about like the major events that happened. You don't think a lot about what it was necessarily like growing up amongst all these things. And also, I think that's relatively rare, right? I mean, just the number of, of kids that were around or were there a lot? Yeah. Of it's funny. Around? People say that to me all the time. And I'm like, is well, that true? <laughs> I seem to have a lot of friends. Like it was oh, a lot. Of, you know, yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. I mean, our building had a lot of kids and you know, my schools always had a lot of kids. I just never hear about like kids in Greenwich Village in the 70s. Yeah. The story needs no, to maybe, be told. It needs okay, to be we got to get Amazon all on right. this. I think Amazon would be a good pick. I could also see HBO. Really what I want Maybe Netflix. I just want, I just think the budget to do it right, something like New York in the 70s, got to do it right. I would love to do that. I grew up with Vin Diesel, so he could maybe help really? us. Really? Yeah, he grew up let's in that building. Let's get him in the mix. Yeah, let's Wait, get him in the mix. did he really? Yeah. <laughs> I think he's going to have to be in it. He had a different name then, but, and his, yeah, his brother and his sister, and actually his sister and I are both on the board of the building we grew up in, West Beth. So, really? Yeah. Wow. Where is the building in in the village? It's uh, West Street, Bank Street, Bethune Street, Washington mm-hmm. Street. So, mm, sure. you know, right on the West Side Highway and yeah, Bank Street, basically. Nice. Is the most famous. That's really cool. So let me ask you this. If you had to do a comedy stand-up set tomorrow night, what would you talk about? We definitely got me thinking about my family and like okay. my childhood. So there, mm-hmm. I think there'd be some good material. My son is feels that most of my jokes are really grown worthy dad jokes. Okay, um, so that <laughs> he's not a fan. He used to that is the worst thing. Cause when you have like a four year old, yeah, you can't 
not be hilarious. Everything you say, and then oh my god, that's the is that really what happens? I should have a kid. That you should definitely great. have a kid. But then they like <laughs> turn on a dime, and then Uh-oh. nothing you say is funny. And oh, you, can, no. you can't even, there's like a period where you, you lose them a little, but you can just yeah. say f- fart or poop and then sure, you get them sure. back. But now a classic. yeah, now it's useless. You can't get anything. Wow. So, I don't know if I can handle that level of comedic rejection from something that I brought into this world. It's brutal. It is brutal. But then they're becoming hilarious. So that's, okay. yeah, that's pretty awesome. All right. So I, I feel like I'd want to type five on like central bank policy or something. Like I'd want to try... <laughs> Some real subtle economics. I actually really love that because I I think there was some joke I used to tell about like compound interest that I thought was so funny. Yeah. So I fully support you doing that. I would laugh. You would definitely get me with that joke, I'm sure. Yeah. But I think, I mean, the beats of me and Jen falling in love, there's... Like, I do think I could tell that enough tight five minutes. That'd be pretty funny. I think you could too. Especially, I think as an audience member, I'd want to know a little more about like, if she wasn't interested in you, but she was like, hey, can I come visit you in Iraq? Like, I would just love to know more about like what both people thought was going to happen, <laughs> like entering into that situation. There's this whole thing. I guess I can tell you. I guess people were using the word blog. I'd never heard the word blog. And okay. when I went to Iraq, I my buddy who's a computer guy, I was like, I feel like I want to keep some kind of diary while I'm there, like an online web diary. And so he created this website for me. And I think Blogger already existed, but I didn't know about that. And so then when Jen was coming out, I was like, oh, hey, you know, remember that woman who I had a big crush on? She's coming out. Can you create one of those for her? And he sent me an email. And I'm in Baghdad. I mean, it is a war zone. And so I'm reading his email, and it's all the instructions on what to do and how to log in. And so I just forwarded it to Jen. Yeah. And without reading it. And then much later, like after Jen and I were fully a couple, she's like, I can't believe how lucky you are that I didn't get freaked out by that email. And I was like, what are you talking about? And so she had me look at the email. Oh my God. And so it's all the instruction. And then the bottom, it was like, hope this gets you laid, man. And then... (gasps) Like this oh, pretty, my God. pretty graphic description of how he thought I should get laid. Oh, my and, God. <laughs> yeah. And, oh, my God. And then Jen's friends were all like, you cannot go to Baghdad with this <laughs> horrible creep. And I was like, I think they're right. Like, I think Honestly. you used really bad judgment. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. She didn't bring it up to you at the time? So she says she wrote me a long email saying, like, I guess that email was sort of funny, but I really want to set the stage here. I'm really not looking for a relationship, yeah. da, da, da. And I never, I swear, I never got that email. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So there were even more beats like that. But, yeah, so I think there. There's a, yeah, there's a good, I yeah, think there's a good this five is gonna make easy. it. This is going to make it into the movie for sure. But you yeah. could, what we could do is you could workshop it on stage a little bit. We can yeah, find exactly. what are the beats that are really connecting and then we'll pull exactly. those into the script. Yes, exactly. This is like really meaty act two stuff building up the relationship. I think so. And there is kind of a ridiculousness, the specific ridiculousness of like her trusting this guy she doesn't know that well yeah. to to go to a war zone with them. But then it also is like, isn't every relationship ridiculous? Yeah. It's almost like the stakes the story would be set in are so heightened that it's like ridiculous. 
But the way that it feels in all relationships, especially when they're first starting out, is that the stakes are very high. Yeah, exactly. Even when you're not in yeah. a war zone. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Great. I'm ready to pitch this movie. I'm excited about this. All right, let's um, do it. <laughs> so do you know your astrological sign and do you care? I do know what it is. I do not care. What is that? I also don't know that much about astrology. A cancer. Okay. And is that the summer? Yeah, July. Hmm. But yes, I find it. Like I just learned about somebody kind of in my broader social circle who is studying astrology. And I was like, hmm. oh, I'm never going to want to hang out with that person. So, <laughs> I mean, it just seems like, wait, why? Like, I mean, I understand the ancient world, but yeah, I don't. So this is one of those strong opinions that in six months, I'm going to see a tweet from you that's like, <laughs> just downloaded this astrology app. It's guiding my every exactly. choice. <laughs> Don't know what I would do without it. Hashtag yeah. cancer rising. Exactly. Yeah. Biden's such a Sagittarius <laughs> or whatever he wait. is. Yeah. I will be replying to that tweet with an okay, audio okay. clip. <laughs> All right, exactly. <laughs> Just so believe you know. people who don't recognize. Yeah. Exactly. Do you believe in ghosts? I definitely don't. Okay. But I definitely <laughs> am prepared to feel afraid when although I will say this is an eighteen twenty farmhouse. Oh my god. A lot God. of people okay. lived in it. Yeah. And I remember when we first moved in thinking, I wonder if I'll be afraid like at night. Yeah. But I'm not. So that's great. So yeah, I, I don't like my brain does not believe in ghosts, but I've definitely had those experiences where you feel a creepiness and hundred percent. Which I'm sure is not ghosts, but but it's in the moment sure feels like it's it like might be ghosts. You're sure it's not a ghost, but you're still gonna turn the light on. <laughs> yes, <where> exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. My son's That's... really into it and he doesn't like that I don't believe in ghosts. He wants oh, me to really? believe in ghosts. Yeah. In what way is he really into it? I mean in a nine year old like wouldn't it be cool if there were ghosts kind of way? Not a... Oh my gosh. When I was nine, that is not how I would have felt. I would have been so terrified. Oh, he's terrified. Yeah. My dad let me watch The Shining when I was five. I was so young and I was so scared. Oh my God. I was terrified. I don't think I could watch that movie now. It's terrifying. I know. Oh, I, well, I know <laughs> that I can definitely not watch it now because it has been burned into my memory. Yeah. I can't. No, there's no way I can watch that movie ever again for the, for the rest of my life, for sure. But I do feel like that sort of set the tone for my entire future fear about being in an like ghost adjacent. Yes. Not a fan. Yeah. It, not a fan. Yeah. No, I can definitely get there. Get the scaries. So we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back. This episode of Non-Technical is still brought to you by public.com. Public is part investing app, part social network. In the app, you can buy stocks with any amount of money and you can share the why behind your investments and ask questions from other investors in the community. What's great about that is with access to a wider diversity of thought, everyone reaps the benefits from the shared wisdom of the community. So I'm probably not going to be able to speak to the real estate market, for example, but I worked in consumer technology for seven years, so I can talk about that. People with expertise in social media, retail, healthcare, and more can feel comfortable sharing their perspectives on the places they have expertise in. Head to public.com to sign up or take a look at what I'm investing in at public.com slash yay Alexis Gay. And now the fine print, this is not investment advice. This offer is valid for U.S. residents 18 plus and subject to account approval. See public.com slash disclosures for more information. And we're back with Adam Davidson. Adam, we've come to a very exciting time in this episode of Non-Technical. It is the lightning round. Are you ready? All right, I'm ready. Okay, let's do it. Coffee or tea? Coffee. How do you take it? Black. 
Every time? Uh, unless it's shitty coffee and then milk. Mm-hmm. We're on the same page. Hot or iced, typically? Hot, hot. Hot. Mm. I actually, that great gift this Christmas was that ember mug that keeps your... <gasps> I gave that to my mom's best friend. Yeah. It is, yes. It. Yes, Oh, I I'm so it. glad. That's great. Do you have a favorite coffee place in New York? Yeah, I mean, I I lived in, you know, South Slope. There's so many. I feel like Cafe Regular is the place I want to be my favorite. I don't know if sure. you know it, but it's very, mm-hmm. it just feels very sophisticated and okay. foreign and cool. And I never went there for some reason. <laughs> I think Cafe Grumpy was the one I yeah. used. I went to the most. I like that place a lot. Nice. Great. Okay. I Now I know what to say when I want people to think that I'm a sophisticated Brooklynite. So thank yeah. you for that. That gift. Because it was on my walk to work and I would cross it every day. And every day I'm like, that's the kind of place I want to go to. I think I literally went there once in like several <laughs> years of passing it. Yeah. You're like, I just really identify with I, that I, Yeah, shop. exactly. Um, do you have a favorite board game? I'm trying to get my son to play board games. He's not into them. So when I was a kid, Sorry, I remember us loving Mm -hmm. Sorry, which seems like a pretty lame board game. And then when my son was little, Shoots and Ladders, which is the dumbest game in the world, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. we would spend hours on that game. So I forced my mom into many hours of Shoots and Ladders and Candyland. Yeah. Oh, and Candyland. We played a lot of Candyland. Which are essentially the same game. (laughs) They are the same game and they're totally random and and so I, have I don't a, like random luck-based games at yeah. all. I did develop a deep loathing of Monopoly. Really? Playing Monopoly with like eight-year-olds as a grown-up mm-hmm. who actually understands economics is yeah. a very frustrating experience. So, Do you think your understanding of economics makes you a better Monopoly player? Yes, I do. Because, I mean, the rules itself are not, they're ridiculous, but... Yeah. It's pretty easy, especially with eight-year-olds, because they don't really understand (laughs) anything. So, And I'm not great at being generous to the kids. Like, I want want to win, yeah. I think I would really struggle with that as a parent as well. I really want to get into, like, Settlers of Catan. And, like, I I know a lot of people who like modern games, but my son's not into them, my wife's not into them. So we hmm. just never do him. So okay. I, I hopefully maybe when he's 11 or something, we'll get into all. Yeah. Maybe it's just around the corner. Yeah. Who knows? A golden Love age. That. Have you ever read a book twice? Yeah. I'm not a big rereader. Well, it's probably because you don't know which pages were your favorite. Yes. You that's true. To talk exactly. <laughs> exactly. I've read Crime and Punishment a few times. I really like okay. Crime and Punishment. For a while, I, I read plays a lot. I really liked reading plays. Oh, me too. So, I love yeah. reading plays. That's yeah. rare. Yeah. And I remember Eugene O'Neill, I would read his plays and try and study them. And that's pretty heavy stuff, but not a lot. My wife, she reads a lot of like, she'll read the whole Little House on the Prairie series at least once a year. And she has a bunch of other Hmm. books that she just will read and reread. And one of my best friends, Jamie, he'll finish a book and just instantly go back and (gasps) reread it, which I'm like, I find crazy. Yeah. I do read a lot of like mystery books just for fun. I mean, just Mm -hmm. like while I'm trying to sleep. And I've definitely read a few where I'm like, I think I read this before, but I can't remember. So I just (laughs) keep. (laughs) That's awesome. Do you have a pump up song? I'm a big Bruce Springsteen guy. So, you know, Born to Run, kind of anything from the Born to Run album or most songs from the Born to Run album or earlier. I like from his first screenings from Asbury Park, New Jersey. Some songs from the river. Nice. I like some of his more recent stuff, but I just don't know it as well. So, sure. yeah. 
and it wouldn't be the go-to if you needed to get like really yeah yeah something. yeah no i'd say mm-hmm. born to run it's hard to be bored to run that's a great it's one it's the official teen anthem of the state of new jersey <laughs> <laughs> look it that's up perfect <laughs> yeah okay this is my final question for you what would you title your memoir i've always been terrible at titles Seriously, it took me years. Well, you were to working on something earlier. You mentioned that sounded like it could be memoir adjacent, confessions of a. Oh right, yeah, it? confessions of a unsuccessfully recovering blowhard, something like that. <laughs> I, I'm okay with that title. Yeah, that title works. It would be very interesting on the shelf. That would be something yeah. I would look twice at. Yeah, that book would sell, right? Should I just write I that think so. book? Maybe you yeah. should write that book. Oh my God, Adam, we made it to the end of the episode. How do you feel? Yeah, this was so much fun. I love this. This was so much fun. I'm I so would happy do this to for hear that. Every day of the week. Yeah, this was a joy. So, dear listeners, if you liked today's show, what I would love is if you could throw me a little review on iTunes. But I have a simple request, which is if you could include as much corp speak or tech lingo as possible, that would really make my day. And maybe you'll hear it on the next pod. Adam, where can people find more about you? AdamDavidson.com. I have all my articles and stuff. And then I, Great. I'm a pretty active Twitterer at Adam Davidson. And then like you, I'm now on Clubhouse all the time. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. Awesome. So make sure to find Adam there. And if you want to uh, see what I'm up to, you can find me at Yay Alexis Gay or at Pod on Twitter. Adam, once again, thank you so much. This was a delight. This was so much fun. Thank you. Cheers. Oh boy, I have a review to read. This one comes from SF Fan. They said, hilarious and interesting. Five stars. This pod has been the highlight of my week in Quar. 10 out of 10, recommend the listen. Wow, highlight of your week in Quar. We love to see it. And if you want to hear me read your review on the next episode, go ahead and leave me a review on iTunes and you might hear it on the pod. Talk to you later. Bye.